As so often the case with the Old Testament uh, figures, uh, today, we, as we hear from Job, I, if I were a doctor, I'd start, start him on an antidepressant. If all, that, all we read was that, but in context, we begin to understand why Job is seeing what he is. Life is a drudgery. I, I, I can't sleep at night. I wake in the morning. My day, the day is as swift as a weaver's shuttle, on and on and on, and, and then we go to our grave and die. Well, not, not in that order. But in context, we begin to understand the story of Job starts with the conversation between God and Satan, Satan the adversary. And God says, have you seen my servant Job, how he's righteous and upright? Yeah, Satan goes, but you take away the things you have given him and he will curse you. Go ahead, do what you will. God gives Satan permission. Now, how that whole conversation is known to man, I don't know, but that's beside the point. But Satan afflicts Job with terrible things, takes his flock, takes his fields, then takes his children, and then attacks his very body. He's given boils, sores, pustules. And his friends come, and his friends are about... uh, as uh, helpful as a one-armed paper hanger, as a friend of mine would say. Oh, just curse God and die. Even his wife, just curse God and die. And Job says, I will not curse God. I've accepted good from the Lord. Should I not accept evil? After all, God would not, not punish me for some, for some secret sin. There's something here for me to discern. It's something, something for me to do. And then he gets to this point where life is a drudgery, mainly because his friends are causing him to feel that. Just curse God and die. No, no, if God would give me an explanation, later he tells us. And in the midst of his sadness, in the midst of the grief of losing his family, losing his his livelihood, losing even his own health, he forgets what it's all about and thinks that life is without purpose. While in the end of the story, God appears to him, speaks to him, comforts him after God pretty much tells him, where were you when I created the great beasts of the ocean? Where were you when I created the stars? Where were you? And Job repents. And one of my favorite lines, in the past I knew only what others have told me about you, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I repent and shut my mouth. He understands now why God does what he does, though not fully. But he understands his life has purpose. And in the end, of course, Job is restored. He receives his family back, receives his flocks back, and his crops back, and his his friends basically come to repentance. All because he begins to understand how he is a beloved son of God. Then we turn to this second reading. We have St. Paul saying, he, if anyone knew who he was, it was St. Paul. In fact, uh, elsewhere, St. Paul says, do, do they have any right to claim to be apostle? I even more so. I'm a Jew of, of Jews. I was trained by the, by the very best. My, my teacher was the leading Pharisee at the time. If anyone has right to boast, I do, but I give it all up because I belong to Jesus Christ. 
And he, he begins in this passage to tell us he becomes all things to all people so that he may save them, not him, but Christ, by the message that he shares, though, that he may lead them to repentance. And he has to do this. He has no, nothing to brag about. He has to. It's fire in his belly that he has to proclaim it. He has a mission. He knows his mission. And nothing's going to take him off that path. As we just celebrated a week or so ago, his call, his conversion, on the road to Damascus, he continued to walk that path. Now, not with the purpose of persecuting Christians and putting them to death, but rather of proclaiming Jesus Christ and leading others to eternal life. He knows his purpose. It's just by coincidence that the church pairs that second reading with the first reading in today's gospel passage. But I think it provides us a glimpse of what Jesus, why Jesus does what he does. Again, Jesus goes into this town, Capernaum. He proclaims the word of God. Afterward, they take him to Peter's house. His mother-in-law is sick in bed. That shouldn't disturb us, by the way. His mother-in-law is sick in bed, and, and uh, they talk to her, uh, talk to him about her, and and uh, he goes and heals her. And I have to admit, I'm a little frustrated. The first thing she does is she gets up and waits on them. There's there's this really bad joke about the worst pain in the world is a man suffering the flu. For a woman, it's just a normal Tuesday. Here, you know, she's sick. She's on her deathbed, perhaps. And he heals her. But that's the impetus for everyone and their uncle to come. And they bring in the sick. They bring in those demon-possessed. They bring in those that that are in need of anything. And he heals them and heals them and heals them. Can you imagine? How many of us have gone our entire life without seeing a real miracle with our own eyes? Well, we might hear about it, something that happened far away or something that happened long ago or something that whatever it is or but how many of us have seen a real miracle with our own eyes but to see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle most of us have never seen a demon possessed person and while I believe that most of us probably have seen the effects of the demonic most of us have not been privy to the inner workings of that But to see the demons cast out, the demons screaming and yelling, the demons being sent back to hell, and Christ telling them, be quiet. This is much more than a show. People are being healed. And Jesus rightfully is exhausted. He could have gotten like Job, is not life a drudgery? All I do all day is heal the sick. All I do all day is cast out demons. All I do all day is try to educate the ignorant. All I do all day is this and that and that and this. No. Instead, he goes to a deserted place where he prays. If you're ever privileged to go to the Holy Land, to go to the area outside Capernaum, you'll you'll find one of two things. One is... It is desolate and quiet, even yet today. And two is, it's a perfect place for prayer because it's desolate and quiet. And there Jesus is praying, being renewed, 
Because while he is the son of God, he's a human being too. And he needs that time. And I have to believe in that time, as he conversed with God, his heavenly father, he was reminded of the task that God had put him to. He knew he was the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He knew that he was sent to earth to be the Messiah, to be Lord and Savior of all. And therefore, he knew what he had to do. And so when they come to him and say, everyone's looking for you, yep, I know, let's go. Now, if you're paying attention, you might think that's rather rude. Everyone's looking for you back in Capernaum. Yep, let's go to Bethsaida. Let's go, go to Cana. Let's go to Nazareth. Let's go to Kersey. Let's go here. Let's go there. Anywhere but staying in Capernaum. Not that he was running for the people of Capernaum, but rather he was saying yes to his mission of proclaiming the gospel not just to the people of Capernaum, but to all people, starting with the Jewish people. And he proclaims that gospel. He goes into the synagogues and preaches and drives out demons. The healing continues. But he had to leave Capernaum in order to do so. A number of years ago, and I've probably shared this story, but uh, a number of years ago I was privileged to be the celebrant for my mom's first cousin as she was celebrating 60 years of religious life three or four years with the school sisters of Notre Dame, and then for 50-some years as a poor Claire sister of perpetual adoration, a cloistered order. She shared the story when she entered. Her father was deeply opposed to her entering that order. Deeply opposed because she was told as she was preparing to enter, you will be allowed to leave the convent twice. Once when your father dies and once when your mother dies, and God forbid they should die at the same time. He was opposed because he knew then he would never see her again. And she told him, Dad, I have to go. I don't want you to go. Dad, I have to go. Well, they're going to change that rule. Probably not. It's five years after Vatican II, give or take. And about three or four years after she entered, they did change that rule. I think great uncle Joe had something to do with that. She was able to come home as her dad was sick. She was able to come home for his funeral, able to come home once or twice more for her own mother when her mother was sick and then for her mother's funeral. But she shared she had to say no to her father to follow the Lord. And it's very much like what Christ does today. She knew her mission was to pray for the church and pray in a particular way in that cloistered order. And boy, if you've never met a poor Clara sister, you haven't met a real prayer. Second to the Carmelites, perhaps. Uh, their, their ministry is to pray. Their ministry is, to, and she knew that was what she was called to do. That was her task. That was her mission. And it gave her hope. It gave her life. She knew it was not a trudgery. Rather, it was something that gave her purpose. The same is true for us, that we are to discern the will of God for ourselves. And in doing so, we're going to have to say no to certain things. We have to. We can't do everything. And we need to discern one of my favorite authors, or one of my favorite little books by one of my favorite saint authors, St. Alphonsus Liguori, is... 
conformity to the divine will. And he starts that whole thing with a story of a man who had two servants. He had the same command for both servants. One did what was commanded and, and then some more. The other one did exactly what the master wanted. And St. Alphonsus asks, who did the will of God? Or the will of the servant, the master, rather. And the answer isn't the one who goes over and above, but the one who fulfills the will exactingly. Jesus could have easily just said, yep, I'm going to stay in Capernaum. I'm going uh, to heal until there's no one else to heal. He probably still would be there today. Because honestly, there's always going to be sick. But Jesus knew the will of God meant saying no, of having, having a limit. Job perhaps forgot that, perhaps just saw the drudgery of things, perhaps saw the loss of all things, perhaps didn't fully understand. St. Paul didn't. He held on. He knew what he was called to do. And even though it sounds rather odd, when he says, I became all things to all people, he knew that was his task at hand. But he also longed for the Lord to take him home. He knew his purpose. When we know our purpose, when we know what God has called us to, and we fulfill that exactingly, we will find joy. We will find happiness. We will find peace. And we live in a world that has so much depression, so much anxiety. And I keep wondering what would happen if we really took our faith seriously. I'm not naive, those, there's sometimes a medical issue behind it or, or whatever. Uh, you know, please don't take this as poo-pooing uh, the medical profession and, and the, the professional help that's needed sometimes. But with a, so much of a rapid rise of anxiety and depression, I keep wondering, is it because we as a, as a people have lost our purpose? Is it because we've given ourselves too much to do? We're, we're so worried about doing everything that we, in the end, exhaust ourselves? That we're trying to do what God has not instructed us to do? Or we're trying to do what God has instructed explicitly not to do? When we understand our mission, and that our mission comes from who we are and whose, whose we are, and the relationship we have with God, I think we will avoid that pitfall. We will avoid overdoing it, perhaps, and just following the Lord more faithfully, doing the mission he's given us 